0: Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com So uh, before we start, we're going to read uh, Hebrews uh, 8, which I was going to read from the screen, and the screen person has gone. It's all going well this morning. That's why right, I can read it. That's right. Yeah, next one. Uh, this, this is, uh, we've been in a series, of, a series on Hebrews, um, and Hebrews is a great book. You should read it all in one go, because it's one argument, really. But we're breaking it down to sections, because otherwise no one would ever get to lunch. Um, so we're going to read Hebrews 8. Now, the point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, thus it, thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each other, one his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sin no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes this first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete is growing old and is ready to vanish away. So, this morning, and what the point that this part of Hebrews is getting to, is that what Jesus is bringing about is a new covenant, and a better covenant than the one that came before. And so, to do this, we're going to look at a couple of covenants that are in Scripture, and then we're going to look at the covenant that Jesus brings about. And I want to show you that Jesus is completing, fulfilling, superseding all of the agreements that God has with his people but while we do that, and before we go there, I want to ask us all a question, and I want you to be thinking about this as, as we go through. And that is, where are you looking for life? Who told you you would find it there? And what is the cost to you for finding it? What price are you paying? Because we want and need many things. We want security, food, wealth, family relationships, enjoyment, alcohol, sexual satisfaction, really what we're looking for is this sense of fulfillment. We want to know, we we feel that our experience is not all it is. It's too bland, too uninspiring, too dark, too short. We want life. And we look for it in some interesting places. So where are you looking for life? Who told you you'd find it there? Are they trustworthy? The real source of life is God's presence. And God makes agreements with his people, well, people in general, for how they can access that life called covenants. This goes right back to the very beginning. Adam received his life from God by God breathing into his nose. And he was put into a garden where living water flowed and watered all the land around. And he had free access to the tree of life. And his covenant had one command. And he broke it. But there were many other covenants that God's made with humans sometimes particular humans, sometimes particular groups of humans, and we're going to look at some of them. But because the writer of Hebrews um, is tackling a very specific problem, he's got a group of Christians in um, wherever they are, and they're kind of tempted to go back to their old covenant, their old understanding of how they uh, meet with God. So we're going to look at those covenants, and we're going to kind of weigh them up against each other. So the first question to get out of the way is, why does God work with covenants? And and there's two big reasons. And I want to do this because we often think of contracts as boring. Or kind of, you know, someone's trying to get something out of you. Um, They bind you. But there's two reasons it's really good that God works through covenants. And the first one is, um, our God is not whimsical. He's not like a Greek God who just changes his mind and the whole of history changes because he's upset one morning. Um, Our God speaks, and then he acts. And so he's reliable, and he's fair. He tells us in advance how we can meet him, and he sticks with it. And the second thing is that God is generous. He's not a trickster. A lot of the times when we enter into contracts, we think the other person is trying to extract as much as they can out of us before they give us what they want. But one thing you'll notice that when we go through these covenants is although there are rights and responsibilities, um, there's not very much actual give and take. In all of these, the Lord is giving, and the rules are about how we can safely enjoy what what he's giving to us. He's never requiring people to meet his needs before he offers them life. And that's not like the other gods that were around at the time. You know, I'm I'm married. That's kind of an example of a covenant. But I'm not married so I can get stuff from my wife. You know, we are married because we love each other. We want to bless each other. And our marriage makes a safe space um, for us us to have that. So we're going to look at covenants we find in Scripture. And we're going to evaluate their merits. And when we evaluate their merits, I want to think of three questions. And one of the questions has a part B. So four questions. So the first question is, is it a good deal? What's the bargain on offer? How do the rights and responsibilities compare to what I'm going to get? The second question is, can the other party actually deliver what the covenant says they can? The kind of 2B is, sometimes these covenants, they define like institutions that, that make them work. So, you know, like in the UK, all contracts would get underpinned by the, the judicial system. You know, so can the institutions actually make that covenant work. And the third question is, can I afford the responsibilities? Can I afford to pay the price for this covenant? So, introduction done. First covenant, Abraham. Um, God makes a covenant with Abraham in Genesis um, just after he visits a particular high priest. I defer back to Vishal's talk and other talks on that. But we'll read from uh, Genesis 15, 4 to 20. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he bought him all these, he cut them in half, and he laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord God made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the lands of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So, we're going to go through our three questions. Is it a good deal? Abraham gets billions of descendants. At this point, he's childless. He gets a whole land to possess. You know, at this point, he's nomadic. You know, he's left his home. Um, you know, he, there's, there's some bad stuff in there. You know, his descendants will be foreigners, and they will be servants. Abraham gets to die in peace. Now, just before this, he's gone to war with a group of people. So this wasn't something that was necessarily on the cards. And then there are other things that get fleshed out later, so he has to circumcise every man in his family, and uh, there's this responsibility put on him and his descendants to follow the Lord and show the world what, what justice is like. So for Abraham, a nomad who's left home, who has no children, is very old, this is a pretty good bargain. You know, your, her- your, kind of, um, your legacy was everything does Abraham trust the other party? That's question two. Well, verse six tells us he believed the Lord and the Lord counted, up, counted to him as righteousness. And point three is, can Abraham afford the responsibilities? So he decides so. He circumcises all of his family immediately. Um, even him at 99 years old. But does he successfully command his his household to follow the Lord? Do his descendants display righteousness and justice and bless the nations? That doesn't go so well. Even having been warned about his descendants being slaves in Egypt, he abuses the slave that he's taken from Egypt himself. But, hang on a second, there was something interesting in that passage that that we read. In this time, covenants were signed in quite a gory way. You'd take your animals, you'd kind of cut them in half, blood everywhere, and you'd lay them out either side. And you and the other party would walk back and forth between the animals. And, the, and you'd, you'd recite the promises you're making. And the point, is, the point you're kind of doing is saying, look, if I break these promises, I'm going to become like one of these animals. So Abraham gets these animals, cuts them in half, He lays them out. He has to keep the birds away. And he's saying, God, if I break this covenant with you, I'm going to become like one of these animals. But something very strange happens. The sun goes down, and rather than walking between the animals, Abraham falls asleep. So who's making the covenant with who? If Abraham doesn't walk between the animals, verse 17, when the sun had gone down, it was dark, and behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. So we have a fire pit and a, a lantern, walking up and down between these pieces. They're making a covenant together. Are you still with me? We're going to go a bit further. Don't worry if I lose you. We'll come back to it. But we're going to go further. What is the pot and the torch? Well, one thing we see about the pot and the torch is that they're both burning with the same fire. So there's something in common between the the pot and the torch. Like a shared spirit. Now, in nomadic culture, you travel around and you have large family groups. It's not like, you're not like a nomad with your nuclear family. You know, your grandfather's there, your cousins are there. You're, you're kind of, and, and the way your society, your kind of group would work is in the evening, you would sit around a fire pit and you would share stories about your family history. You know, your, your grandfather, whatever the whole generation is, would tell a story and lead the group. And then at the end of the night, all the sons would take a torch, they'd light it from the fire pit, and they'd go back to the tent with their nuclear family. So what we're seeing... Is something like a father and something like a son making a promise together that are united by the same spirit. And so the son is saying to the father, if Abraham breaks this promise, I will become like one of these animals. Abraham's covenant never rested on Abraham's ability to follow it. It always rested on the promise of the Son to the Father. When God promises to bless, He doesn't bless us because of our ability, He blesses us because of His ability to fulfill our side of the covenant. Abraham gets his peaceful death, but it's still a death. His descendants get slavery. His male descendants mutilate themselves. They still hunger, thirst, and struggle, even under the blessing of this covenant. Covenant two. We're going to go to Moses. So Moses brings the Israelites out of Egypt, and God makes a new covenant with them. This one is not so much about blessing a family, but it's about establishing a nation, a nation that should be particularly blessed and cared for by God, it's long. You'd have to read most of Exodus, all of Leviticus, and most of Deuteronomy to get the basics. But the central ceremony is in Exodus 24, and that's what we're going to read. He said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, this is God, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord. But the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we shall do. There's the promise. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars, according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings and of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in the basins, and half the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and he said, All the Lord has commanded and spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the, on the people. Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. Do you see there's a similar thing going on, right? There's blood being thrown around. So, is it a good deal? They get to be God's chosen nation. That's in Exodus 6. Um, They get God's presence in a tent. That's Exodus 25. They get law in books mediated by priests. We see in Exodus a bit of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. They get a sacrificial system with human priests in Leviticus. We'll come back to that. They get food restrictions. They're not allowed to eat everything like Noah was. And they get the threat of exile if the people fail so badly they can't uphold their end of the covenant. And notice this time the blood was sprinkled on the people. There wasn't a step in here. And it ends differently. So can so question two on our evaluating covenants is, can the other side deliver? Well, by this point, the Israelites have seen miracle after miracle. They've been liberated from Egypt. they have been plagues, you know, everything. There should be no doubt. Can the institutions function? Well, I mean, the priesthood doesn't do so great. And we'll come back to that. And the kings, which are actually part of this covenant as well, tend to be terrible, although there are a few exceptions. And the third big question is, Can the people afford it? Next one. They fail immediately. In Exodus 32, Moses is still up the mountain. You know, they haven't even seen him since this ceremony happened. And um, he's still getting the details of all the law. You know, um, sometimes you do like an agreement in principle and then you flesh it out later. And that's kind of what's happening here. Um, And then we we read from Exodus 32, 7. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen these people and behold, hit a stiff necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. So gods they've broken the covenant, and you know this is part of the bargain. But after some negotiation, uh, God decides not to completely obliterate them. Moses goes down the mountain. He gets annoyed at Aaron, who gives possibly the most terrible excuse in the history of terrible excuses, which is like, oh, I just threw the gold in the fire, and out came a calf. Um, I mean, it would be funny if what happens next isn't so awful. And then when Moses eventually gets to the camp, we read the following. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, and Aaron had let them break loose the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood at the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on the side of each of you, and run back and forth from gate to gate. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbour. And the sons of Levi did, according to the words of Moses. And that day, 3,000 men of the people fell. heartbreaking moment. And Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing on you. The priests get chosen because they killed the Israelites to uphold the covenant. That is what's at stake. And remember it. Because we'll come back to it. They also fail in the long term. And the threats in Deuteronomy about exile come to pass. Covenants are serious. God speaks, it would be wrong of him to not uphold them. We get Jesus. And in Matt twenty six, twenty-seven, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink it all of you for this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the good forgiveness of sins. Let's evaluate our questions. I can't read the whole of Jesus' covenant, like four Gospels and letters unpacking it. It, It's already too long, but I'll I'll list it and I won't read them all. Um, Question one, is it a good deal? And the astute among you will notice that these bullet points match the bullet points of the other um, bargains. We get a bigger family. John 1 twelve. Uh, we get a home in God's house, John fourteen, two to three. We get eternal life, John three sixteen. We get freedom from slavery to sin, John eight, thirty four, thirty-six. We get circumcision of the heart, Romans two twenty nine. Now you're entitled to your own opinion about this, but in my mind this is vastly preferable to the other kind. Um, uh, like Abraham's descendants were told to display justice to the world. We are commanded to preach the good news in Matt 18, 16 to 20. We're God's chosen people, Hebrews 8, verse 10. God's presence, not in a tent, in you. John 14, 16 to 21. You get the law on your heart, not in books mediated by priests, Hebrews 8, 10. There is no longer a sacrificial system. There is one sacrifice completed. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, securing eternal redemption, Hebrews 9.12. Not a priestly system, one great sympathetic high priest, Hebrews 4.14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. Just as we are, just as we are, yet we did not sin. We don't have food restrictions. We can eat uh, whatever we like. And um, we see the end of exile. So in Isaiah 40, just before the famous passage that gets quoted about John the Baptist all the time about shouting in the wilderness, um, we read this little passage. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And then in Luke 20, 25, Jesus is taken to the temple. And the first person he meets is this guy called Simeon. And it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. What he's saying is that Jesus is the completion of the threat of exile. The man who had been waiting for the consolation of the Jews sees Jesus and says, this is the comfort we've been waiting for. So do you see that the benefits of this new covenant are laid out as a completion or a supersession or a fulfilment of every other covenant that God has made with his people. Question two, can the other side deliver? Well, Jesus dies and he rises again after three days. And the Holy Spirit is active with us in this room right now. And I want to go back to the Abrahamic covenant we talked about and talk about Pentecost as proof that this is coming to fulfilment. Because we talked about the smoking fire pit and the torch that walked up and down. And the torch was the sun. And they had the same fire. After the torch fulfills the covenant, there's this cooling off period. And the disciples are waiting in the upper room. And when they pray, tongues of fire appears on their head. The disciples have become torches like the sun was a torch in the Abrahamic covenant. They have the same spirit on their head. They're literally like, I'm assuming they're trim, they're literally like trim things with fire on top. Just as the sun took our place in Abraham's covenant, because of his fulfillment, we take the sun's place in the new world that's to come. If you're a Christian, you are a torch of God's fire. You're animated by his spirit. And all because of the promise Jesus made to our spiritual father, Abraham. And just like that covenant, our access is not dependent on our performance, but on the promise of the Son in front of the Father. Can the institutions function? We're going to go on to our question 2B. Jesus is our great high priest and you can listen to Vishal from last week to hear more about that. But our institutions are no longer a copy and a shadow like it said in Hebrews 8. Jesus isn't walking into a tent. He's walking into the actual throne room of the Father. And I want to point out another difference between our priest and their priests. Because I talked about why the Levites were selected. And they were selected because they were the ones that brought death to Israel when they broke the covenant. Because that's what that covenant demanded. And so when Moses came down the mountain and he met the people who had broken the covenant, they put swords on their hips and they run. And 3,000 Israelites die. When the disciples step into the new covenant, they come down from their upper room. Their faces are lit by the Holy Spirit like Moses was. And people outside meet Jesus And 3,000 come to life. It's the same number. And it's making a point. Under the old covenant, the law meant the priesthood brought death. Under the new covenant, the priest means that sinful people get life. This is a better covenant. Can you afford it? That's for you to decide. My experience is that it will cost you everything. And you'll realize that wasn't very much after all. Now, I could end there. Maybe I should end there, but I'm not going to. (laughs) Hebrews is written to ex-Jews and God-fearers. They knew the old covenants before they met the new one. Most of us are not ex-Jews or God-fearers. Very few of us are struggling with the temptation to go back to ceremonial purity and food restrictions and visiting the temple. But we make covenants in other ways. We fall back on other things in our search for life. So I go back to that first question. Where are you looking for life? Because this isn't an intellectual exercise. I mean, I love intellectual exercises much more than I love physical (laughs) exercises. We all make covenants. We marry, we take out mortgages. And sometimes we make kind of more subtle agreements with things around us. So what agreements have you made in your search for life and fulfillment? Who told you you would find life there? Can they deliver? Can you afford it? You know, one of the biggest covenants you'll ever enter into is probably buying a house. I say one of them, I mean, they have different ways of measuring, I suppose. My wife might be upset I said that. Um, and we do that because we're seeking shelter, security. And those things aren't bad is it worth 50% of our post-tax income for our entire working lives? God's requirement was 10%. What does Jesus say in his covenant? Matt 6, 31 to 33. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Under Jesus' covenant, the cost is to seek him, and the reward is all of the things that you're looking for in other ways. And sometimes our agreements are not super obvious things where you've had to sign an actual piece of paper. Um, Shortly after Eden was born, Amy and I started looking around and reading and just trying to find any way we could help her sleep. Uh, you know, we we like to think that it's really for her best, but full disclosure, I just I needed a nap. We wanted rest. We ended up with th- with this book, and it has a system. <clears throat> and if you follow the system, your baby will sleep 12 hours a night, uh, so I'm told. We had some success. Uh, it wasn't that it didn't help at all. But I mean, I'm not going to lie. We we did not get a 12 hour at night sleeping baby. But with this book, there are time for naps, there are ways to feed, you have to buy special cushions. I mean, it just, it was a lot. She never slept 12 hours a night. It wasn't like we'd signed a contract that we would follow every step of the book. But we started noticing a few weeks in that we would feel anxious if we weren't following the schedule. If a nap didn't last long enough, if a feed didn't go so well. Emotionally, we were acting as if we were in a covenant with this book to try and get these rewards. It couldn't be trusted. It couldn't deliver. And what does Jesus offer? In Matt 11, 28 to 29, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me upon you. Learn from me because I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Is that better? It's definitely shorter. And I trust him more to deliver than I trust, I can't remember her name from Instagram. <laughs> I want to communicate It's not always actual contracts that we use for our fulfillment instead of Jesus. We end up acting like we're in a covenant with alternative light givers. It might be our work. You might work for years and never get the promotion that you thought you were looking for. It might be drugs. It might be porn. It might be food. It might be a group of friends that you feel you just have to bend to stay in with because what would you be without them? It might be a political cause. I don't know what agreements you've made I do know the only place to find life for your soul is Jesus Christ I do know that if anyone has sold you life another way that life will be a pale counterfeit of real life I do know they are not trustworthy I do know the cost will be too high and I do know the institutions will be corrupt because we can go right back to that very first covenant with Adam He was placed in the garden with one command and in that garden were streams of living water and the tree of life. And what does Jesus say in his covenant? I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. And if anyone believes in me, they will have streams of living water flowing out of their heart. if you have ever looked for life somewhere that isn't Jesus if as I talk about this you feel the prices you have paid it might have cost you relationships it might have cost you your health it might have cost you your, your sense of you know, moral completeness you've, made, you've done things you didn't think were right might have cost you time with your children come to Jesus he's shown he's good at his word his covenant is secure it rests on him and not on you and you will find life so I'm going to pray Um, and as I do let's spend time let's invite the Holy Spirit to come he brings life